everybody and welcome back to the Data Bytes podcast. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence and I'll be your host for this episode. Today I'm joined by Eric Weber. Eric is the head of experimentation, economic insights and metric at Yelp. He's also worked in leadership roles and individual contributor roles at Yelp, LinkedIn, CoreLogic after an a- academic career as an assistant professor. He is the author and editor of a weekly newsletter called From Data to Product, focused on data product management and thinking about data science as a product. Welcome, Eric. It's great to chat with you again. Thanks so much for having me here. And I was like thinking about the last time that I that we did a presentation and I was, you know, part of the women in data conversation. And it's crazy how much thing, how, how much the world and everything has changed. Like it was about four years ago now, and it's stunning to think about just the, how the field has changed, what we've gone through in the subsequent years. So super excited to dive in and catch up. I know. I'd love to see some of our slide predictions back then and see like how <laughs> right were we, how wrong were we. We should probably go back and look at that as data science. I know, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, I know. It's. It's wild to think about because at the time, you know, data science was in hyper growth mode and it still is. It's just distributed across multiple different types of domains right now. And like people just didn't know. And that also makes me think about like, what does this look like a few years from now? And that's, I guess that's the thing I enjoy the most about this space. It's like, you just don't know for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And and right now it seems like you're carving out kind of your own niche within data science, which is, you know, data science as a product. So can you talk a little bit like how this came about and what you really mean by data science as a product? Sure. Happy to do that. So I think data science over time, um, if you look back and when I finished my PhD in 2012, like the word data science was barely mentioned, like even like maybe once every, every few weeks, I maybe heard the term. And then that was like fundamentally different by 2014, 2015. And it was like fully ramped by 2017 or 2018. And companies have invested quite heavily in data science and just data in general, because they are relatively convinced, and I think as they should be, that data can help them make better decisions. But what's happened in the data space is we've gotten really good at building things that don't sustain over time. And that could be a dashboard, that could be a model, that could be, relationship between metrics. I'm sure if you're part of a business and listening to this, there are a lot of things and insights that are essentially like six to 12 months old and they may not be relevant anymore, but the business still operates off them as if they're true. So I started asking a lot of questions around like, what can we do differently here? And What's happening is that companies, in order to see ROI on data science, they need to be sure that when they're building something, that it's built for a specific customer with a specific purpose in mind. And they think about actually creating a product that's manageable over time, that likely has to evolve, change, and do different things. And so this like concept of data science as a product is that the assets that we create from data science, from a data set to a dashboard, to an experimentation system, a platform, whatever it may be, 
really actually need product management type of mindset. And I realized that, you know, when <laughs> I've asked, I've, I've interviewed many people in the product management space, and I don't think I've ever gotten the same definition for what a product manager does. So that's a whole other issue that we can probably tackle. But I really think it's about creating sustainable data products. And that really requires partnership between data scientists and product managers. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners can feel the pain of, you know, they've created a dashboard before and then like two weeks later, it's it's not useful anymore. The business has moved on. So the state sustainability um, is a huge pro to this. But have you seen that when you're focused on sustainability for data science as a product, does this slow the process down in terms of developing and putting something out? And is it that hard for different business groups to get accustomed to? How does it work in, you know, actual development of it? I think in actual practice, um, it slows things down in a useful way. And that's, it definitely, so I'll answer kind of each of the questions in succession, Mm -hmm. but it slows things down because you need to make sure that you're actually building a product that has a market. That market might be internal, right? It might be your executive team, analysts, whatever area of the business you're supporting. But it, but it takes time to make sure that you're actually building something that people need, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, it's very common for people to build something that they hear is needed from one person or they think is needed because of their perception of what the business's problems are at that moment. But they don't build it. Uh, in a way that is representative of what the broader community needs. And so it takes more time to actually get that feedback, to understand your customer super well, to actually be able to dig in in that space. But to me, it's a worthy trade-off because when you actually invest in building it, then you're actually focused on something you know is a need. And that's somewhat strange, I think, for stakeholders who are used to like, at least in a lot of businesses, the dynamic is like they ask for something and the data science team or a data analyst team builds it. But I think they recognize as well that they don't always know exactly what they need and they don't know what's going to allow it to be sustainable over time. So it does definitely change the timeline for delivery for certain things. But from like the payoff standpoint, it's a big deal. And when you actually have this product management mindset around it, it's not only about the first version of the product, which is typically what we do. It's also about like, what does V2 and V3 look like? How are we actually gonna invest time in making sure this thing works six months from now, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, a, it's very easy to build a dashboard and then there's a schema change to the data and whatever database you're reading off and suddenly everything stops working. And then it becomes a question of like, okay, so who is responsible for this not working? And the data scientist is pulled out of something else that they're working on to go back and manage this. And it becomes really, really tricky. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like sustainable products is not just about like, you know, oh, just making sure it works perfectly, but it's like actually allocating someone's time to be thoughtful about how to keep stuff working, which is really hard to do when you're in a data science role where it's like very fast moving. Yep. Yeah, so do you see like data scientists needing to learn more product management skills or product managers 
you know, being a part of a data science team, like, are those two separate functions or should those be one person? I think that really depends on like the maturity model of the organization, particularly like the data space. Uh, at Yelp, we have a dedicated data product team. So we have quite a few actual data product managers. And that's because we operate at the scale that we do. Mm -hmm. So we have specific products that people work on and focus on. And those products have so many users and of such, of such high value that the, the return on investment makes sense to have a dedicated product manager. I would say in a smaller startup, it's very unlikely you're going to have a data scientist and a data product manager. So in that case, for a data scientist, it's extremely valuable to have product management skills. That doesn't mean that you need to be a product manager, but it does mean that you need to be able to think about prioritization, um, think about what does the roadmap look like for this particular product, right? If you're building a dashboard, an executive dashboard in particular, what's the roadmap for it? What does it look like in Q2 versus Q3 versus Q4? And like, how do you actually get <clears throat> time investment in that space to do it? So I, I really think the industry is starting to like see this as a valuable distinct role, but it becomes a question of like, just because it's a distinct role doesn't mean that there's a new person to do it. In a lot of cases, my guess would be they're gonna ask data scientists to do some of this and that's tough. Um, and so I don't know if I have a perfect answer for like, who like, are they distinct people? I think that's gonna be a very organizational dependent answer for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah, but it sounds like even if you're in a, if you're currently in a product manager role or in a data science role, cross training and learning the other discipline yes. would be helpful no matter what. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, the value of being good at prioritization and the value of being good at thinking about a longer term roadmap and like how you're building something that's sustainable, that's just a very good practice to have, mm -hmm. right? Like that's not, a, I think that is like an invaluable skill set. whether you want to be a product manager or a data scientist, like businesses need people who are able to understand the customers, define requirements and actually prioritize outcomes. And that's not something that I believe should be unique to product managers. Um, I actually think this is something that we can coach data scientists and engineers and analysts to do because it's just a huge benefit to the business. For sure, yeah. I mean, I can totally relate to that. I am an organized order planning person by nature. So whenever I was on a data science team, I found myself in half of a product management role because those tendencies just came easily. And sometimes I would get frustrated because I'm like, okay, am I like more just managing this overall release or am I a data scientist? But there obviously <laughs> was a need there that needed to be filled. Yeah. And those skills just came out naturally, but 100% agree. I think this is something valuable for every data scientist to learn. Yeah, and it's, I think maybe most important is not to think that you have to learn something that is like, is gonna take you two years to learn, yeah. right? This is, and also you're never, you're never gonna be a pro at it 
when you start, right? Like prioritization feels weird. Opportunity sizing feels weird. Telling someone what the return on investment is, is always going to feel a little bit strange, mm -hmm. but you don't need to be great at it when you start. It's actually like the process of actually just trying to do it is really valuable, right? The process of actually just going through and trying to say like, what is the value of this project? Like, who are my customers? The fact that you're actually asking those questions sets you apart from quite a few other people. Totally. And, you know, I've, I've read some neuroscience papers about how bad we are as humans in estimating, right? So when you're sizing up <laughs> how long this is going to take and yep. one of the things that you find out is, okay, we're really bad at it. All of us are, but the more we do it, right, we can know how much we need to how much time we usually need to add on to our estimates like that's kind of the iteration process that we do within data science as well like you have to put something out there on paper and then iterate on that model and i think a lot of those principles even get pulled over into the product side like you said you're not going to be great the first time but like putting something out there gives you something at least to iterate on absolutely and that's i think we do just like a lot of people, we try to solve too many things in our head without trying to actually represent them and write them down. And a big part of product management is writing things down in a way that gets you to think more about like what's not being written down or how to stack rank the things that are written down. Like it's not this magical set of tools that you have to get an MBA to go learn about. Like this is a, this is a practical set of skills because the advantage that data scientists have is they are experts in their product that they are building, mm -hmm. right? They know how it works. They understand the inner, like the mechanics of it, what it can actually do. Where I think there's most often a gap is understanding what your customers are actually trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that like customer focus across companies is immensely valuable because you can build the best looking solution in the world and it may not <laughs> actually be useful, right? If you like, it may be, it may look great to you and seem to function well, but someone tries to use it and they're like, yeah, this doesn't do what I needed. And that's a really frustrating moment for a lot of people. For sure. Yeah. So talking about writing, you write a lot. You have written, I think, as you said, every day on LinkedIn for the past four years. And now you're moving over to kind of a longer form thought with writing your weekly newsletter from data to yeah. product. How did this come about? Is this is this just a hobby? Was it like a practice of like, hey, I just need to start doing it to get better? Um, what have you learned it's in that process? It's interesting. Um, the first time that I posted on LinkedIn, it was because it was around my first day working there. And I was like, huh, I wonder if people actually read things that people post here. Like, honestly, that was the total, that was the, like the impetus behind it. I was like, hmm. And then I wrote on day two and then I wrote on day three and I've just done it since. Um, and I think what I've learned is that there are a number of ways that it pays off and returns back to me. One is it like forces me to go through like clarity of thought. When you write something down, it really has to be good. Like it really has to be, if people are gonna engage with it, 
it really has to be structured in a way that allows people to make sense of what you're trying to say. And like, this is the entire reason that I use like a five point summary style when I write, because people don't digest blocks of text very well and they never will. Mm. And like, I've kind of learned over time that like writing has become kind of its own like product for me to work on. And it's grown over time and it's opened up opportunities and engagements and allowed me to like meet people in this community. It's like, that's the personal payoff for me. Like the, the reason that I, you know, I'm motivated by it. And I think it, it genuinely like opens up this like weird world to people where they feel like it gives them something tangible to understand, like, what does it actually mean to try to interview for this type of role? What skills are people gonna care about? How do I look at my career growth? And I think writing actually probably has forced me to actually evolve how I think about this space. Um, and I honestly had never, the number of times people have been like, write a book or start a blog or something I've been, and I've just, have never done it because I've just never been interested in it. I didn't feel like I had the right, the right area to focus on amongst mm -hmm. all of the noise in the data space. Now I feel like I have a bit more clarity on like what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's not 500 people trying to say the same thing. Um, so that's why I'm doing it. And that doesn't mean that it will last forever either. Right. I think it is a, just like any product you're creating. I think there's a fit for it at the moment. I think it meets a need, but that doesn't mean that that will be there forever. Um, but it's, it's interesting. And it also keeps me, it's become a habit for me writing and it's interesting. I kind of, am like usually drinking coffee when I post things in the morning, it's just kind of like it's like I get my thinking out, mm -hmm. but the best part is it sometimes gets other people to be like, hey, I can write too. Mm. Like, you don't have to have perfect ideas. You don't have to have extraordinarily well-formed thoughts for people to find value in the things you have to say. And so that's like what keeps me doing it. Um, there's not some like, you know, LinkedIn is not a monetized channel, right? So I'm not sitting here trying to be like, you know, maybe it will be one day, but my goal is to try to like provide something useful because I know there's a lot of stuff on LinkedIn that is not. Um, that's just my <laughs> people talk about this regularly where it's like, oh, great. Another post about like something that says I'm humbled to say this like and that's usually what my feed looks like. And <laughs> but like it's hard because people come there because they want to learn. Yeah. And I think the more that anyone takes the perspective of like here I'm going to try to help other people learn you're going to get like a good audience from that mm -hmm. and that that for me is pretty fun yeah what what I love here is just like the daily practice and you're learning along the way I don't know if you're familiar with um Leepel, but he's the one who just sold the like 69 million dollar nftr you know a few months back and really that came about from him doing art every single day and there's a lot of similarities i've listened to a lot of interviews with him as well and you know people he did it for 10 years and people were like you know like year five you weren't like okay i'm good <laughs> like this is enough right and he was like no i just learned so much in like the practice of it and just wanted to offer value and i think like there's something really beautiful there of like, hey, just have a daily practice. Like, like we were talking with product 
management and data science, it's like, it may not be perfect at first, but like, if you have the mindset of providing value and keep at it, like something positive is going to come from it. Yeah. It's interesting moment when you're like, my parents are like, my dad told me today, he's like, oh yeah, I've been reading what you've been writing on LinkedIn for the last two years. I didn't even know you were on LinkedIn. Like this weird (laughs) moment of like, but it creates really interesting conversations mm-hmm. that people will tell me, they're like, oh yeah, I read the things that you write. And it's a really weird moment to be quite honest when I realized that, oh yeah, I'm not just writing into like a space of nothing that like people are looking at it and engaging with it. And that's such a good feeling when people find value. Cause some days I post things and I'm like, yep, this sounds, doesn't make sense but I'm gonna do it anyway and then people will be like oh this is really insightful I'm like really it was <laughs> and it's very confusing for me and then I'll post other things that I think are I'm like oh that I think that's really good I like I feel like this is like I put a lot of time into this and just nothing so mm-hmm. it's very like it's an adventure it's unpredictable and that's kind of the fun part of it but it does like, I think you can find that in different ways. For some people, um, doing one-on-one mentorship is the way that they enjoy doing this the most. Mm-hmm. I think this is the way that I can provide mentorship to the most people and still, like, have my sanity after a day. Um, and, like, that's kind of why I've taken this approach rather than to do a lot of smaller group stuff. And the newsletter is intended to be a more focused space for people to engage with specific types of discussions. But again, it's like, I'm trying to do some of this mentorship work and trying to share my thinking because I would love to respond to individual messages, but like, you know, I unfortunately have to like, my boss wouldn't be too forgiving if I was like, well, I wasn't able to come to work today because I was like writing all, I was responding to messages on LinkedIn. And like, that's a tough thing. It's a, it's a, it's a push and pull. Yep. Yeah. So you have inspired a lot of people and, and mentored and way people through your post. What do you see like common mistakes people are doing getting into data science today and what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think I think common mistakes are that there's a few. One of them is that people think the only way to add value in the data space to a company is in a role that is called data scientist, which I think is wrong. Yes. Um, it's, I realize that like, there's reasons for that, that like they think about the pay and they want like title prestige, but like I can tell you that title prestige is not what's gonna get you out of bed in the morning to do the work that you're doing. It's just not, it's like, <laughs> and, if you're, and if you're thinking about pay, obviously we want, everyone wants to be paid and they want to be paid well for what they do. But if you're going into a field so that you're happy every couple of weeks when you get paid, it's not going to sustain you in this field. It just won't. Like, there's just no way. It's too intense. There's too many things going on. It requires too much keeping up with changes. And so I think it's like the incentives. If you're going into it for the title and for the pay, 
that's only going to sustain you so far. And I think that's actually why we see a fair number of people burn out and leave um, because they didn't approach it with the right reasons. And to me, the right reasons are you're genuinely interested in working with data, right? You just find it interesting. There's stuff you can uncover. It can really, you realize that it can affect decisions in really meaningful ways. That's really cool. And if you like have the mindset of like, this stuff is cool and people look at you like, really? Then you're probably like set up for success in this area. And the second component that I think people need to really focus on is you're gonna be, asked to do a lot of different stuff in a data role, like, <laughs> because people are going to look to you as their guide to leveraging data. And so they're going to ask you a lot of stuff and people, the reward for doing good work is you get more of it. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a tough thing, right? Because you become a very valuable asset in an organization. If you're thinking about getting into this field, the most important thing you can do is get into a company. I don't necessarily care which one, especially when you're starting and provide value as quickly as you can. All right, this is, because the most important thing is that people trust you to help them make sense of data to make decisions. And if you get to that, I don't care what your title is, like, They'll just change your title. I'd be like, you want to be a data scientist? Cool. Like you're a data scientist now. Yep. It's a like showing value, finding connection, getting people's trust within an organization. That's what's going to set you up for success. Not the title, not coming in with certain pay. Like those things matter. And I get it. I'm not trying to discount them. But if those are your primary incentives, you're probably going to get frustrated in this mm -hmm. field quite quickly. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with the like, hey, just get in somewhere because most of that, most of the data science learning for myself has come from hands-on experience of like just being in yep. the trenches of it. And so like the sooner you can get that experience, the better, but also like if you have that mindset of provide value, you can do that anywhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, one of the things or, you know, a tech giant or anything like there's so many businesses out there who need people to be providing value. It's so true. And that's like, I'll give you, you know, I love being at Yelp. I was at LinkedIn and then I went to a couple of companies outside of the tech space and I'm now at Yelp. And like, whenever, you know, people are like, well, why don't you go to Fang? And I'm like, well, because I don't find that to be the place where I enjoy my work. Mm -hmm. I really like doing what I'm doing. I've found a group of people and a company that values that. And I don't feel this like pressure to be in a certain type of company. And to be quite honest, there's a lot of challenges and downsides of being at a very large company where you are one of many that might, you know, being in a fang, I think people pursue it for prestige, which is fine. They pursue it for pay, which is fine. None of these things are bad. But again, you have to think about what your incentives are and what matters most to you. And like, just because someone else tells you that this is the most important company to get into, that's really tough because I have a lot of people talk to me and they're like, well, how do I get into, how do I get into Google or how do I get into Facebook? And I'm like, 
well, there are specific paths to prep for that, but also like, have you thought about why? Like, mm-hmm. why do you want to do that? And I think for some people, that's going to bring them the most enjoyment. They're going to thrive and enjoy that type of environment. But there's a huge percentage of the data world that will not enjoy that environment. And I think, I hope that over time, we start to like recognize that and actually help people find the right place rather than just say like, okay, you have to get into these companies or you're not considered like a top tier data scientist, which is drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, and not only that, like but what you said earlier too, being a data scientist isn't always sometimes about a data science title. Like there's all these mm-hmm. new kind of roles popping up around it. So I'm curious to know what you think the future of data science looks like. And then we'll have to talk again in like four years to see if these predictions yeah. were right or whatnot, listen back. But yeah, I would love to, to know where you see this space going just in general. I think businesses are becoming more savvy about understanding the value that they get from data science. And that means they're gonna ask harder questions and they're gonna make careful investments in people and products. So, that means that I don't think there will be an excuse anymore of like, oh, well, we have a data science team and we're just like not seeing the, the value delivery. I think businesses are going to expect it more. And that's not going to mean that it's going to cut down on the number of data science roles. I think it's going to produce a lot of data science adjacent roles, which are things like product management, things like data science analysts. Um, you know, focusing on creating better managers and better leaders in this space. It's, I think the interest and impact of data science is going to spur growth in adjacent spaces and industries. And that will just take a bit of time. Um, but I think companies, rather than just like give up and be like, no, we're just not gonna do data science anymore. They're gonna ask questions like, okay, what else do we need to do to make this work? And I think that will actually create demand for quite a few other spaces that connect pretty closely to it. So that's that's a huge one. Um, the second one in is I, I think we're moving closer to a space where like we have people who specialize in areas. And I don't think generalists and you know, approaching things in general is bad, but there's just an appetite from companies for people with specific types of experience in ads or in marketing or in sales or in product, whatever it might be, there's definitely a lot of growing interest in having people who are excellent in a specific space. And so I think those two things are gonna drive quite a bit of investment and decision-making, like certainly in the next few years. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's an opportunity for a lot of what I call like career changers out there who maybe have some deep industry knowledge or functional knowledge and are adding on some data science skills. Like that's just right. a win-win because you can use that to pivot you into the next area and maybe, you know, specialize in ads and data science, right? I mean, who there, exactly. it, it, there's so much opportunity in this space. There really is. There really is. And that's what I love about it. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. If people want to get more from you, what's the best way to connect with you and sign up for um, your newsletter? Um, you can go, I think going through LinkedIn probably makes the most sense at this moment. Um, I have a link to the newsletter in my pinned post on the profile and 
Otherwise, if you're on Substack, you can look at the newsletter. It's called From, From Data to Product. And I will be publishing something weekly and excited to get doing it. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to yeah. have that in my inbox and and continue to read and learn from you. So thank you so much. We will have to have this conversation again in a couple of years and, and see what predictions were, were right and wrong. So, All right. Thanks so much, Sadie. Thanks, Eric.